And Shabbat Shalom, everybody, and welcome to the Virtual House Church. I am your host, Rob Skiba. I'm excited to be joined once again by Juan Carlos, Jake Grant, and Kevin Roberts. We'll get to them in a second here. If you guys are new to the Virtual House Church, you can go to virtualhousechurch.com. Virtualhousechurch.com is our primary website. And on the front page, there's some sort of introductory text there explaining what we're doing here. A cool video by Chuck Missler about the uh, importance of the Torah and, and some interesting things regarding little hidden codes that can be found in the Torah, sometimes called the Torah codes or the Bible codes. A uh, good video here by Zach Bauer addressing the issue, we're not under the law, really? Hmm. And the two commandments, people say, well, Jesus just said we have two commandments, right? Love God, love your neighbor. Well, what does it mean to love God? God, according to the Bible. Hint, read First John chapter 5. Uh, the two commandments summarize the Ten Commandments, and the Ten Commandments summarize the 613. What are the 613? Well, some rabbi somewhere at some point in history decided to count everywhere Yahuwah said to do this or don't do that in the Torah, and apparently he came up with 613 times that he did so. You can click on this graphic right here. It'll take you to a, a really cool website that explains all of that and uh, breaks it down really cool. Then below that is a fellowship finder. So wherever you are in the world, let's uh, let's see, let's zoom into Australia. Uh, wherever you see these little tags things, you can just zoom in and click on one. And let's see, Hannah McMahon. You can visit this person or contact this person and maybe be able to get into fellowship with th that person. Same thing anywhere else in the world, wherever you see one of these tags. In the United States, wow, you can see there's a lot of people that have registered themselves here with the 119 Ministries Fellowship Finder. So uh, if you're looking for a, a group to have actual physical fellowship, we're doing it virtually here right now. Although with COVID, it may take a while <laughs> before uh, people can do a lot more of this. But at any rate, there's some opportunities for you there. Some other cool videos here by Zach Bauer from New Tutora uh, regarding the so-called Hebrew roots and what does that mean and addressing Todd Friel's objections to what we're doing here today. Uh, there's, I've got all seven of them up here now that uh, Zach did. They're all actually really good. I recommend you guys check them out. In the top left-hand corner here, you'll see in the main menu who we are. That's just about Sheila and I, what we believe, our statement of faith coming out of Babylon. Tons of cool resources there, videos and books and all sorts of things for you guys to check out. What does it mean to come out of Babylon? You can find out at that link. And then in the VHC store, you can see some calendars there. This top calendar right here is put together by Kevin and Amanda Roberts. You can click on it for a free PDF. Uh, if you want to order a printed copy, you can click on the domestic or international buttons right there to do so. Another calendar provided by Juan Carlos here, slightly different. Uh, you can check that one out. Same thing, click on it, free PDF. If you'd like to get the workbooks, you can get them uh, probably faster through Amazon by clicking on each one individually, or if you want to get them all together for less money, you could get them through us, but uh, we have to wait for our orders to come in before we can ship them out. That said, I actually have a new shipment that just came in, so I'm fairly well stocked at the moment if you guys are interested in that. Uh, the PDF version of them, you can click on that and, and get those there, and those are cool because you can print them off and uh, print up this week's study for your family or home group fellowship or whatever. Uh, so it's a good resource. And, of course, the Ephraim Awakening DVD-ROM that comes with all the resources that you see there. Something cool for you guys to check out. Um, then below that, we have What Do We Do About Paul? Of course, when we start talking about uh, keeping the Sabbath, keeping the feast, keeping the commandments, you know, inevitably somebody will start bringing something up from Paul. So we have to address that. And uh, did so here. You click on that. There's a bunch of, bunch of links, common 
common things that you run into. And, of course, the book of Galatians. What do we do with Galatians? You could click on that. Then below that uh, are our weekly Bible studies. And this week we are doing Deuteronomy week number 49. And the scripture readings for this week's study are on the right-hand side. And uh, so you have a portion from the Torah, from the prophets, and from the New Testament. Hopefully you guys did your homework. What we are asking you to do before joining us is to at least read the scriptures and or watch some of the previous broadcasts that we've done, which you can see here. Um, people are wondering, what is the deal with this picture from the 2017? First of all, I didn't pick the thumbnails that YouTube just automatically grabs a thumbnail. Uh, I'm too lazy, don't have enough time to make custom thumbnails, so it's whatever YouTube picks. Uh, so that happened to be, looks like a... Uh, still frame from the Parsha in 60 seconds. So if you're wondering, what's the deal with these freaks? Um, that's, that's from this right here. Parsha in 60 seconds, that's a ministry. Parsha just means, that's a Hebrew word for study. So they distill the Torah portion down to 60 seconds. So we'll go ahead and watch that to get us started here. Shalom and welcome to Parsha in 60 seconds. Today's portion is from Deuteronomy 21, 10, 25, 19. It is called Kitsetse, which means when you go. If an Israelite wanted to marry a captive woman, he must give her a makeover and mourn for his dead future in-laws for a month. An absolutely defiant son would be stoned. Cross-dressing was forbidden. Plowing with an ox and a donkey together was forbidden. Moses instructed that one was to make tassels called tzitzit. To marry a woman and then falsely accuse her of not being a virgin would result in the false accuser's flogging. If the woman was not a virgin, she would be stoned. If a man lies with an unclaimed virgin, he is required to marry her. Marrying her father's former wife was forbidden. If a man discharges during the night, he must leave the camp for a day and bathe. A man can relieve himself outside the camp and would bury his discharge with a spike. Prostitution was illegal. Charging interest to a loan on one's kin was not cool, but charging a foreigner was okay. Kidnapping an Israelite was punishable by death. Debts could not be collected forcibly. Fallen crops from the harvest were to be left for the needy. When flogged, no more than 40 lashes were allowed. If your brother died with no son, you are required to marry his wife and give her a son. If the wife of one seizes another man's friend <coughs> during a fight, then her hand was to be cut off. The Israelites were to remember the ambush of the Amalekites and declare that Amalek's memory be blotted out from under heaven. And that is Kitsetse in 60 seconds. All right, some interesting topics <laughs> for today's Torah portion. Uh, and then, like I said, there's some broadcasts from 2013, 2016, 17. Of course, this one is today's, which will be archived there once we are done. Uh, some really good commentary here. I re always recommend you guys check out these commentaries by Ardell from Your Living Waters. She did commentaries in primarily 2008, 2009. I've always found them to be extremely insightful, uh, worth downloading and printing off and maybe putting in a notebook for you guys to check out. So highly recommend that. Again, the, the Chuck Missler video. Same questions in the workbook. Uh, these are good starter questions that you can ask yourself or your family or your small group or whatever after we are done with the study. How did this week's Torah portion relate to the half Torah and Brit Hadashah portions? That's just Hebrew from Prophets and New Testament. What did you find most interesting about this week's reading and what is the general theme of this reading and how does it apply to our lives today same questions every week but there are good starter questions to get you started on you know thinking about all these things Deuteronomy 24 uh, wow this is a a, a powerful portion uh, to really understand what Yeshua did and it starts right there in Deuteronomy 24 I've got a video for you guys to check out called redeeming the bride from a conference I did a few years ago and uh, some stuff on that right here. Actually, oh, and at the bottom I have uh, Jim Staley's Identity Crisis. Must that's a must watch. After you're done with this broadcast, you got to watch these videos. Watch the Identity Crisis by Jim Staley. Watch Lost Sheep by 119 Ministries. The Error of Dispensationalism is a must if you come from that background to understand why it is false. 
nailed to the cross. Another great video there. So those are the resources I have on the page. Of course, also the Psalm 91 video uh, as well. I posted something on my Facebook page uh, yesterday, as a matter of fact. It's interesting how... Um, looks like Torah cycles. It's, it's like, I think it was Andy Hoy. Yeah, it was Andy Hoy who said, isn't it interesting how uh, the Torah cycle seems to mirror whatever's going on, like currently happening in the world? And what I was finding is a whole lot of people uh, on Facebook rebuking basically what we're doing here today. And so as usual, this is cyclical. It seems like it happens every year and certainly seems to be happening about this time of the year. Uh, so I posted something here. I said, people come here to my wall uh, to view my wall and the things I post about. And in their self-righteous judgmental attitude, they quote unquote rebuke me and claim we are told to preach the gospel, not talk about pick a topic I'm usually posting on, usually something related to the commandments or our identity in Christ. To such people, I will ask, do you even know what the gospel is? I think not. Hint, it was preached hundreds of years ago, hundreds of years even before Yeshua showed up. See the book of Isaiah, for example, which I believe we talked about last week. Sadly, these people are not alone. They are merely the voices of millions who are just as deceived. I know because I was in that same camp for over 40 years. Been there, guys. <laughs> I, I know exactly where you're coming from. Then I realized if I don't understand how Genesis 48, Leviticus 26, Deuteronomy 24, which is in today's Torah portion, Jeremiah 3, Ezekiel 4, and the entire book of Hosea are all linked together, then you have absolutely no clue whatsoever as to the true meaning of the gospel as Paul understood it and preached it in Romans 7 through 11, Ephesians 2 through 5, and 1 Corinthians 7, 39. So many here appear to be New Testament Bible-believing Christians, got the bumper stickers and everything, I'd bet. I used to have the same motto myself for most of my life. Used to say it all the time. I'm a New Testament Bible-believing Christian. But this mentality is like buying the greatest novel ever written, skipping three quarters of the book, reading the last 25% of it, and arrogantly thinking you actually have a clue who the characters are, what their motivations are, what the plot is even about, etc. And being that the vast majority of Christians are in the same boat, perhaps now you can see why I feel the need to post the things that I do in this regard. There is a massive mission field just amongst the body of Christ itself, most of which, like myself 10 years ago, have no clue who they are or what Christ truly did for us. I'm not saying that to be boastful or proud. I'm saying it from experience. I'm saying it after having learned how Genesis 48, Leviticus 26, Deuteronomy 24, Jeremiah 3, Ezekiel 4, the entire book of Hosea are all linked together. As a result of reading Paul after I understood what he understood. You can't hope to understand what Paul wrote until you first spend a lot of time reading what Paul read and deeply understood. And then I posted the video that's also in this week's Torah portion, Ephraim Awakening, Redeeming the Bride. So I'm excited to talk about all this with my other co-host here. So let me go ahead and bring them on. Hey, guys, Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom. <laughs> we can hear Chris Stobel there. I, I can't see him on the screen the way I have it cropped right now, but we can hear you, buddy. <laughs> Welcome. All right. So uh, let's jump in. Who wants to go first? What did you guys uh, get out of this week's study? I'll uh, I'll go first if you guys want. All right. Um, 
so this study is interesting. Uh, I wanted to focus in right at the beginning. Uh, we're in Kitetsi, right? Is, yeah. Am I, yes. Yes. Um, I, sometimes I get, you know, off track there. But uh, so um, in 21, uh, verse 22, we see the commandment that I think is associated with why Yahushua was taken down from uh, the cross. Yes. Uh, and it's uh, verse 22. It says, and if a man has committed a crime punishable by death and he is put to death and you hang him on a tree, his body shall not remain all night on the tree, but you shall bury him the same day. And we know that was absolutely the case with uh, the Messiah. Um, you know, you had, uh, you know, some, uh, the, the rich man comes and he's like, Hey, give me his body. And he, he buried him, uh, in, you know, a, a new grave. And so, uh, that didn't happen to our Messiah, where he was left on a, a tree, because he's not a curse. He's an amazing blessing. So I wanted to point that out to people. Uh, uh, there's a significance to that. Um, in this Torah portion, uh, starting in chapter 22, there's uh, it, my at least some of the scriptures I'm reading through. They have these you know little titles, and it says uh, various laws. It's like a title, and uh, and it's interesting that some of these various laws. Uh, you know, they, they really do give us a, a good understanding of how to love our neighbor and uh, how to love Yah. And so um, sometimes these are important ones to, to read through and understand kind of what the heart behind it is. Um, I wanted to read particularly in 22.1 where it says, You shall not see your brother's ox or his sheep going astray and ignore them. You shall take them back to your brother. And if he does not live near you and you do not know where he is, you shall bring it home to your house and shall stay with you until your brother seeks it. Then you shall restore it to him. And you shall do the same with his donkey or with his garment or with any lost thing of your brother's which he loses and you find. You may not ignore it. You will not see your brother's donkey or his ox fallen down by the way and ignore it. You shall help him lift them up again. And uh, and this ties into, you know, uh, you know things that, is it all right to do good on the Sabbath? Uh, which is something that's addressed in the New Testament where the Pharisees were coming against Yahushua and they're like, hey, you know, you're, you're allowing people to, you know, pluck grains from the, you know, the 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 field, uh, which is also interestingly enough something covered in this Torah portion, which is involved with leaving uh, the 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 extra in your field and not pruning it all away so that the the orphans and the widows and the fatherless they can have something to eat. Um, but uh, it's this whole premise of, you know, is it wrong to do good on the Sabbath? If somebody's oxen has fallen in a hole. On the Sabbath day, are you are you willing to go and help him get it out because you love your brother, um, or are you going to be like, oh, I'm holier than thou, and I'm keeping the Sabbath all bundled up and you know not leaving my bed until sunset? So, you know, this is a you know important context to the heart of Yah whenever it comes to like doing good and hey, you know, it, life, you know, saving a life and and serving, you know, is is a very important thing and doing good on the Sabbath. It's it's not work, you know. And whenever we see kind of the context that Yeshua explains it, unfortunately, uh, doing good on the Sabbath, like healing on the Sabbath, or you know, doing the things that Yeshua had done, uh, that is often misinterpreted uh, and twisted to say, "Oh, look, the Messiah Yeshua, he broke the Sabbath. That that's why we have Sunday now," or or you know, whatever justification that that those arguments lead to. Uh, but it's important to understand that. You know, it is is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Um, in 22, verse 5, we have a very specific 
address to uh, what is being so heavily shoved down our throats in today's culture. Um, the whole uh, uh, drag, uh, you know what? I don't want to get your video flagged here, Rob, <laughs> so I'm going to speak a little coded. <laughs> because, it, you know, this is uh, something that is being shoved down our throats in our culture so strongly. And uh, and it's it's really sad because, you know, you have these people that are walking out in something that's described as an abomination. I'll just read the verse. A woman shall not wear a man's garment, nor shall a man put on a woman's cloak. For whoever does these things is an abomination to the Lord your God. And so, you know, these things are important. And, and then when we look at the, how the world is today and how uh, people have just turned their hearts where good is evil and evil is good, um, we see that uh, people who are doing this are the strongest advocates in our school systems, our public schools. They're wanting to go to libraries and read and, and, and display this, what is called an abomination, uh, in front of people. And, uh, and really there's a, 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 an agenda to normalize this mindset um, across the world. Um, and uh, I, have a, I have a theory, you know, that I'm just going to put in here. I, you know, I think there's an interesting uh, aspect of this that is tied to uh, gaming. Um, and, and I'm not hard at harshing on gaming itself. You know, I, I'm a gamer. I like to play games with my family. And, you know, it's a way we like to connect and do stuff. But uh, I actually watched a documentary recently looking into uh, some of the early forerunners of video games. And uh, it was across the board, like some of the very first competition winners uh, were transgender people. Um, like there was a lot of people who were involved in some of the early days of the gaming industry that uh, were very openly, you know, practicing things like this. And, uh, and on Netflix, I watched this uh, documentary, you know, talking about the origins of this and they're propping these people up that have, uh, totally uh, maligned their lives with something, with with what the word is, and and they're doing something that uh, Yah says you know we should veer away from. And so you know it's being normalized in our commercials, in our TV, uh, in our culture, in our cl school, public school classrooms, in the libraries. And so you know we got to be aware of uh, this. And, and it is an interesting thing enough that you know this word abomination, uh, while. Many Christians today will say, oh, yeah, totally, that sin is an abomination. Be careful because that word abomination is also used for some of these things that, you know, might be considered lesser commandments like, you know, eating unclean. You know, eating unclean, uh, those things are called abominations. It's a similar term to, you know, what has been uh, placed on, uh, you know, homosexual sins and, and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And so, uh there's another thing I wanted to uh, point out here. There's an interesting uh, focus here in this chapter about uh, bathroom, uh, you know, kind of <laughs> prerequisites, uh, which I think is fascinating because uh, Yah, like, look, guys, if you got to do your do, go outside of the camp. <laughs> and uh, and unfortunately, we see in places that don't do this, like India and you know, in the Middle Ages, where they would just dump it out on the street. You know, it's so gross that festered disease and just nastiness and people suffered their health the you really could see physically the curse uh of disobeying this commandment uh which is in verse uh 12 uh you shall have a place outside the camp and you shall go out of it and you shall have a trowel with your tools and when you sit down outside you shall dig a hole with it and turn back and cover up your excrement because the lord your god walks in the midst of your camp to deliver you and to give up your enemies before you Therefore, your camp must be holy, 
so that he may not see anything indecent among you and turn away from you. And, you know, commands like this uh, in the end are going to be important. You know, if there is a greater Exodus event and we all are in the wilderness again, and these, you know, minor, you know, these commandments that we might not have studied out well, you know, some of these things are going to be really important whenever we're uh, preparing, uh, you know, to be that spotless bride for him to come and walk in the midst of our camp. And, uh, you know, there, there's definitely a parallel with, you know, the judgments that fell on the rebellious after the exodus from Egypt. And uh, whenever he deals with us once again in the in the wilderness, and he purges out the rebels from among us. Uh, so uh, another thing I'm going to go through real quick here is the years. Uh, there's an underground railroad verse uh, that I thought really popped out to me, um, you know, with the racially charged, uh, you know, uh, atmosphere of this country. Um you know, I think it's interesting to point out that there's a scripture that actually kind of, uh, uh, you know, could have been like a champion verse for those participating in the Underground Railroad uh, back in the days when people were escaping slavery in the South. And it was in verse 15, you shall not give up to his master a slave who has escaped from his master to you. He shall dwell with you in your midst in the place that he shall choose within one of your towns, wherever it suits him, you shall not wrong him. Uh, so I can imagine back in the day, you know, uh, 1800s and whatnot, uh, people, uh, believers in the North kind of looking at this verse and be like, all right, we're going to go, you know, we're going to make sure these people can get to safety and have a place. Um, and we're not going to turn them in, uh, because that would be to wrong them. And, uh, and of course a major, major aspect of this Torah portion is, uh, there's a verse in Deuteronomy 24, one, which is the whole discussion of, the divorce of a man and a woman and how he can't bring her back uh, if she's defiled herself with the you know other other men and uh, and yet this is tied to something in Jeremiah 3 so I just want to read real quick uh, when a man takes a wife and marries her if then she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her and he writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house and she departs out of his house and she goes and becomes another man's wife and the latter man hates her and writes her a certificate of divorce puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house, or if the latter man dies who took her to be his wife, then her former husband who sent her away may not take her again to be his wife after she has been defiled, for that is an abomination before the Lord. You shall not bring sin upon the land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance. And I know we're going to go into much more detail later on, you know, into this particular aspect of, you know, the whole amazing gospel of, of why Yahushua came and died and presented himself this eligible bachelor for us uh, to remarry back into covenant as imperfect man reconciled to a perfect God. But Jeremiah 3 uh, kind of, you know, hints at this, and the prophets are, like, questioning, like, how is this going to happen? And it says in Jeremiah 3, 1, they say if a man put away his wife and she go from him and become another man's, shall he return unto her again? Shall not the land be greatly polluted? But thou hast play the harlot with many lovers, Yet return again to me, saith the Lord. So this is the big question, and and uh, and of course, uh, you know, I'm sure we're going to get into this further details. But you know, Paul, you know, he's like, guys, look, this is a great mystery that you know we, I figured out, and uh, he starts to you know try to explain some of these things. Um, and so, uh, and then the last thing I wanted to point out is uh, I kind of talk about it sometimes, uh, you know, about how uh, it, at least in my life, this whole law of marriage for a man that is newly married. Uh, in verse 5, I think it was 24, 5, 25, 5, maybe. Um, when a man is newly married, he shall not go out with an army or be liable for any other public duty, 
he shall be free at home for one year to be happy with his wife, whom he has taken. And uh, can you imagine if our culture actually started practicing that? Like, how good it would be for marriages today? Like, just imagine, like, how people are sometimes thrown into, you know, marriage and they, you know, you know, my uh, my brother and uh, uh, he's uh, been betrothed and he's about to get married soon. Um, and they're, they're only going to be able to have a, a short period of time and then the work starts and stuff and they're going to try to, you know, go and do their honeymoon, you know, whenever they have time because work schedule is really constraining. But can you imagine if we were in a culture where this practice was actually carried out and a newly married man was able to spend a whole year with his bride whom he had taken just as Yah did with the children of Israel when he brought them out of Egypt and spent a whole year with them sitting at the base of Mount Sinai just learning each other, learning the covenants, learning how to please him um, before, of course, they started off on their trek um, going off. And uh, and can you imagine, like, today's divorce rate is so astronomically high. You know, that was the, the big regret Ronald Reagan uh, said is, you know, he, he allowed the no-fault divorce thing to pass in California, and within, like, five years, it had been kind of rendered by all of the other states. And um, it just basically... Uh, you know, is is something that is a constant attack on the family is tearing, you know, tearing marriages apart. And I think it's all the stress and pressures of life and the rush to, you know, go and, you know, just, you know, start building something up. But, um, you know, I just wanted to say, man, won't it be so cool if, you know, one day, you know, this is something that can be carried out by all of our newly married people and how strong that would make marriages if uh, if we could actually carry out the commandments of God, and, you know, in a very literal way. And, uh, and, uh, you know, it's just something exciting thing that I got to experience in a little way uh, in my life. And uh, I just know that uh, it would be great for other people. So I rattled through pretty much all of my main points. and I'm sure we can get into more focused discussion on each of those. But that's kind of what I got out this week, guys. Very good. Good stuff. All right. Who wants to go next? Yeah, I can comment uh, on some 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 stuff uh, you know what i what i found amazing in this in this uh, Torah portion i think jake you already mentioned some some of this and and i think i'm gonna from my from my point of view i'm gonna keep the the, the main dish for the end it's related to the the Torah of the 24 that i think we can spend even more but you know what i what i found i find interesting is that uh, i call this portion the the portion of the Mishpatim, because it's full of Mishpatim, it's full of ordinances, it's full of uh, um, righteous judgment, uh, depending on how we, we translate Mishpatim. Uh, and I just want to just want to mention a few, few of them. Uh, for example, uh, Jake, you, you already mentioned about uh, the animal falling into a pit. And, uh, and you know what, what I find, find amazing in the Torah, and actually we can see this also in the teachings of our Mashiach, that uh, the, the word of Yahuwah is applicable in different angles. It's applicable in the physical physical angle, physical world, but also it's applicable in the spiritual world. Uh, you know, when we see this this instruction, like in case an animal is, is falling into a pit, it's something for sure if we're living in the, in the field, in the countryside, and we see these kind of things happening. The instruction is clear. We need to we need to act uh, like that. We need to help the animal. Depending on the day, actually, he says we need to do it in a hurry. Uh, but the, the 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 important thing, as uh, Jake uh, mentioned about this, uh, this is also applicable to us. Uh, it's not only about animals. It's also applicable to us. 
And this is exactly what Yahushua mentioned in the story that uh, Yeh was mentioning. Uh, he was questioning the, the Pharisees and he was disputing very strongly with the Pharisees because the Pharisees was, uh, were pushing them, keeping the tradition of men uh, instead of following the, the Torah of Yahuwah. And, and he was healing on Shabbat. But uh, I, I want to spend a little bit uh, the, the, the understanding on this because it's not only about healing only on Shabbat. It's about helping those that are in, in, in darkness, helping those that are in need that have been falling into the pit. What is a pit in this case? Anything that's uh, pushing people outside outside the way, that is, is tramping them down, is not letting them uh, letting them to walk in the way of Yahuwah, those that are falling into the darkness. You know, I, for me, this is amazing because it's exactly what Yahushua taught, is to help each other is to help a daughter of Israel, is to he help a sons of uh, Israel uh, that is, is, is having a, a disease or is going astray. I, I think it's important for all of us that we see this kind of situation. Our responsibility is to bring light. Our responsibility is to save and to ban those that are the, with the with the broken heart. It's exactly what we see in the prophecies about the Mashiach. So, so, so this is important to understand how how uh, apply all of this. And, and just to mention something that I, for, uh, if I, before I forget, you know, we can see this clearly in this only this passage. I, I wonder myself how many other uh, mysteries and how many other instructions we can see in each one of the points that we we can see in this portion, and in other portions of the Torah that can be applicable to us, and maybe we are still not with our eyes fully open to understand all of this. And, and this is just an invitation, I think, for all of us to keep studying the word of Yahuwah, because in the way that we understand this about an animal falling to a pit that is applicable to all of us and to the body of uh, Yahushua, may, maybe there is a lot of other stuff that's also applicable to us. And I want to I want to bring some few examples that uh, is not my interpretation, it's just to let the scripture to, to speak by its, itself. We see in Devarim, in Deuteronomy, chapter 25, verse 4. Another example about animals, and uh, I, when I was reading this, you know, I, I thought uh, is Yahuwah treating us? Sounds like funny, but the example giving this and it's really uh, we can read this in the chapter twenty-five, uh, verse four. It says, "Do not muzzle an ox while it is threshing." So, so again, we can apply, apply this in the physical world. What does it mean? Is basically when we're using an animal to 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 help us to prepare food. In this case, of uh, working in the, in the threshing floor, we cannot put a, a muscle, you know. And, and this is funny because it's exactly what's going on now with this pandemic. <laughs> we're all with the muscle in our mouths. Uh, <laughs> so 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 what is what is it about? You know, the animal is working for us. So 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 he deserves to eat. And, and you know we see this interpretation in the in the words of uh, Shaul, in the words of uh, Paul, and and we see this in the in the First Corinthians. And I want to go there just to 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 share this. This is in First Corinthians, chapter nine, verse seven, verse seven to the verse ten. It says the following: Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard and does not eat of its fruit? Or who shepherds a flock and does not feed on the milk of the flock? Do I say this as a man 
or does not the Torah say the same too? For it has been written in the Torah of Moshe, you shall not muzzle an ox while it stretches out the grain. About oxen, is it about oxen Elohim is concerned? Or does it he say it because of, of us all? Or this has been, this was written because of us, that he who plows should plow in expectation and the thresher in expectation of sharing. So, so, so here in this, this passage is basically Shaul, Paul, giving us uh, an additional understanding how this, uh, all this instruction in the Torah of Yehoah, this specific one that we can apply it in the physical world with the, with the, the animals, is also applicable to us. And you know, I think last week in the, in the session last week, uh, Jay, you were bringing this, uh, this point out about uh, when Israel were going to, to a fight, to a war. And the, the captains and the and the officers were saying, who is the one that already planted the vineyard and has not enjoyed the, the fruit of the vineyard? Go back uh, because uh, you need to enjoy what you what you did. So so we see all these examples in the Torah of Yahuwah that uh, if we are working in something, that we need to eat for the fruit of our hands. So 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 this is exactly the interpretation that Shaul is, is helping us to understand about this passage. And uh, you know, yeah, just to, to to mention, this is so so amazing how all these little things we can see how 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 we can apply it to our to, to our own lives. Uh, the same thing, for example, we see it in the chapter 22 of uh, Deuteronomy, chapter 22, verse one. Uh, verse 11, sorry, 22, verse 11. Um, it says, verse 10 and 11, do not plow with an ox and a donkey together. Do not put in a garment of different kinds of wool and linen together. Can you hear me, guys? Because I'm hearing some noise in my... Yeah, I can hear you. Yes? Yep. Okay, good. So, so if, if we focus just in the verse 10, it says, do not plow with an ox and an donkey together. <laughs> so, so again, <laughs> the Torah of Yahuwah is speaking about animals. And, and, and it's just a matter to imagine what is he, what is he, is he talking about. Let's imagine an ox with a yoke and uh, together with a donkey. There are two kind of different animals. They are walk differently. They they use the strong the strength dif in a different way. The size of the animals is totally different. It's impossible to to work uh, and to plow with different kind of animals. In this case, with a, an ox and with a donkey. So so what is talking about and how is applicable to us? And we see this exactly in the, I think it's in, in the book of uh, Second Corinthians, when he's talking about the, uh, to be unequally yoked. And uh, you know, that, and I want to spend understanding of this because uh, sometimes this is uh, fully applicable to marriage relationship. But uh, when, we, when we read the Second Corinthians and we understand the, the, the full aspect of this, in this passage, it's talking about any kind of relationship. It could be a business relationship, it could be a friendship relationship. It could be marriage as well, because uh, you know if we are if we're joining us together, and actually the, this is the way that is written in the Second Corinthians, uh, with an unbeliever, it's like uh, light and darkness cannot be joined together. Uh, so 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 this is exactly how we can apply this to to our lives, uh, understanding this this specific passage. And, and, and you know, yeah, just to mention a few few other more, uh, it says, uh, for example, in the verse 23, uh, in the chapter 23 of the Deuteronomy, verse 19 and 20, that we, can, we should not lend on interest to our brothers, 
uh, in the chapter 22, verse 1 and 3, is talking about everything that we, 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 we understand now as the lost and found. So, so, so there is a lot of other, other passages about uh, talking about servants, poor payments, you know, what, uh, what Jay was bringing about, about the uh, uh, hygiene, about uh, how, how to apply all of these kind of uh, diseases. You know, I was teaching my, my son that was uh, sitting next to me. Even I was telling him, even father teach us about number two, how to do number two. <laughs> so, so, so it's also funny because all of these kind of things that uh, we see, little, little details that the uh, Yahuwah is, uh, is, is, is teaching us to, to do. And I just want to, to, to bring something that was sharing on, on my channel a few, uh, few weeks ago. When we see, for example, the, the, the commandment that we should not let on interest to our brothers, it is really important to understand who is our brother. Uh, you know, we see different commandments, different instruction, different misvote, about uh, that needs to we need to uh, we need to apply to our neighbors to a stranger to the poor to the widows and so on so so in this case how we can understand how to apply this uh, this uh, this portion and this uh, commandment if we don't understand who is our brother and and i'm going to make it short shorter than i did it in my channel but and we are going to go straight forward to the to the to the answer and uh, who is providing us the answer to this is our mashiach is yahushua so, so who is our brother? And we see this in the book of Matthew. Yahu. This is Matthew, chapter 12, verse 47 to verse 50. And it says the following, and the whole concept here is that Yahushua was speaking to the crowd, and his mother and his brothers were, were trying to, to talk to him. So it says the following, the 47, and one said to him, See, your mother and your brother are standing outside, seeking to speak with you. But he answered and said to the one who spoke to him, Who is my mother and who are my brothers? And having stretched out his hand toward the, uh, his taught ones, he said, See, my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the desire of my father who is in the heavens is my brother and sister and mother. So, and actually we see in the testimony of Lucas, he's saying that everyone that is hearing not only hearing, also doing the word of Yahuwah is his brother. So, so how we can understand how to apply this commandment, how we can understand who is our brother, is just listening to the voice of our Mashiach, our King, our Melech, that our brother is the one that is doing the desire, is doing and hearing and doing the word of Yahuwah. So, so just to, to share some, some, some few, few things, I think uh, uh, it's important. We can speak about the more stuff about the rebellious son, uh, also about the, the, the divorce and how this is applicable to the adultery as well, and how it's applicable to, to ourselves and the value of Mashiach. But just to start uh, with something, and this is what I wanted to share with you guys. Yeah, <clears throat> very good. Uh, Juan, did you ever look into anything regarding, uh, uh, what is this, chapter 2211? about not mixing linen and wool together? Have you ever done any studies on that? No, not at all. But, uh, you know, I, I think uh, somebody told me that in the in the past, I think um, in the 2017 broadcast of Virtual House, somebody wrote in the chat yeah. uh, that has some kind of background on the <laughs> working with the, in, in that kind of industry, that there is a, a kind of electricity or energy different energy coming from linen and coming coming from wool. 
Yes. Uh, so, so, so this somehow is, is, is impacting and how, how the energy that is going through our bodies. I mean, just keep in mind that our body is, is 75% of water and there's a lot, of ele- a lot of electricity going on. And so, so, so you know, all, all the spiritual aspects, I, I truly believe, and, and you know, I'm, a, I'm an electrical engineer. So, so, so I know about the electricity and those kind of things. Oh, I didn't so, know that. So That's cool. there is something, sorry? I said, I didn't know that, that that was your career field. That's cool. Yeah, yeah, that's that. That's my that's my career. Yeah, I'm focusing more in technologies now, but uh, my 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 background background is in, in electricity. Hmm. So so you know for sure the the cloth we we wear is something related to the electricity that's going in our bodies. So 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 this is what I hear about the uh, about that uh, rock. Yeah, um, I have the article. Up. <clears throat> want me to read it? Say again. I have the article up. If you guys would want me to read the study. Yeah, yeah, very cool. Uh, before you do that, just real quick, um, for those of you who don't know, uh, the Take on the World conference is happening right now. Uh, would have been, if it wasn't for the lockdown, it would have been live like it has been in previous years at a campsite and everything. Uh, always enjoyed going to the Take on the World conferences. But this year, uh, because of lockdown, it's all being done online. And right now, it's, it's, it's happening right now. It actually started Wednesday, and it's going through till Monday. Um, and so after you, we guys, you guys get done with the virtual house church, if you want to, you can go over to Robbie Davidson's channel, celebrate truth. This is YouTube channel and click on the live take on the world conference day four. And, um, this was the schedule of the speakers. I'm actually going to be on this evening. Uh, these times are all in Eastern standard time. So, uh, I'm on it. Uh, I guess that would be 6:40 PM, 6:40 PM. I'll be doing my third presentation of four. Uh, then we have a um, sort of a, a live panel discussion. We're going to be, myself and several others will be online, uh, I guess, maybe answering questions or something. Um, but I'm pointing this out, first of all, it's because it's a cool conference, but also because when they do the rerun of this, my understanding is they're going to rerun the conference again, I think, after it's over. Um, there was a really cool presentation, and actually uh, Nathan Reynolds has been on this whole thing about linen, uh, let's see, yeah, becoming a linenite. He did a presentation Thursday afternoon, Nathan Reynolds, Becoming a Linenite, uh, all about what we're talking about here, about linen. But what he's found is, you know, we know that the Levites, you know, they they also, in addition to being priests, were warriors. And we see also that the army of God comes clothed in what? Fine linen. So what Nathan has found out, and I don't know if you're going to cover this and what you're going to read in a minute there, Jake, but uh, he has seen that uh, linen, you know, first of all, yes, it does have frequencies. And as I understand, I think it's 5,000. And I don't don't understand how all that works. But that cotton and linen both have the same frequency, 5,000. But one is, I guess you would say, positive and one is negative. And both actually have benefits to you except for when you put them together. When you put them together, they cancel each other out, and it becomes actually detrimental to our health, uh, as I understand it. Again, I'm no expert on this either. I've just uh, heard and read some things before on it. But uh, what uh, Nathan is finding is that also when you mix linen with different um, uh, precious stones and things of that nature, you can create a armor that apparently is is like resistant even to arrows, like uh, and that he was finding that the Levitical priesthood. Um, had linen armor 
And I, I'm brand new to all that. I've only seen a few things that he's done on it and caught his presentation on Take on the World. Uh, so I'd recommend people to, to uh, go to him to learn more about that. But I found it really fascinating. So, yeah, Jake, whatever you got, man, go ahead and uh, read it for us. Yeah, I'm going to share this link here in the uh, the chat room so people can go and read this themselves also. But uh, it's uh, life. Uh, it's called LifeGivingLinen.com, and it starts off with the, the title, Scientific Details of the Linen Frequency Study. And it says, in 2003, a study was done by a Jewish doctor, Heidi Yellen, on the frequencies of fabric. According to the study, the human body has a signature frequency of 100, and organic cotton is the same, 100. The study showed that if the number is lower than 100, it puts a strain on the body. A diseased, nearly dead person has a frequency of about 15, and that is where polyester, rayon, and silk register. Non-organic cotton registers a signature frequency of about 70. However, if the fabric has a higher frequency, it gives energy to the body. This is where linen comes in as a super fabric. Its frequency is about 5,000, while wool is also 5,000. But when mixed together with linen, the frequencies cancel each other out uh, and fall to zero. And if you're familiar with you know, how wave band frequencies work and, and all that kind of stuff, you know, if you've got two you know, contrasting things, they nullify each other. Um, and hey, so it says Jake, even wearing Jake, a wool sweater. Jake, uh, I, I pulled up the website, but what page are you on? I'm trying to follow along with you. Uh, called Linen Study. I'm, just, I, I'm sorry, I'm going to go is, ahead and paste is, this uh, link i just posted it there in the uh box okay and uh, i'll finish off this paragraph uh when mixed together with linen the frequencies cancel each other out and fall to zero even wearing a wool sweater on top of a linen outfit in a study collapsed the electrical field the reason for this could be that the energy field of wool flows from left to right while that of linen flows in the opposite direction from right to left Uh. and uh Man, it just brings to life these commandments that could be called stupid or, you know, pointless or ceremonial civil laws that we don't need to worry about. And whenever you dig into the science, it just proves that uh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob knew this stuff and revealed this information to people that lived thousands of years ago. And it's just so amazing. It just, oh man, awesome. Yeah, that is truly awesome. I mean, we read some of these commandments and we're like, What's that about, right? I mean, just because we don't understand them doesn't mean that it has sometimes really profound significance. I mean, like, don't wear wool and linen together. Like, before understanding this, it's like, what's the problem with that, right? You know, what's the big deal? Well, you know, the creator, you know, he created this place. He knows how he made plants. He knows how he made our bodies. He knows, you know, what's good for us to eat, what's good for us to wear. You know, go figure, right? The creator might just actually know these things. Uh and it's exciting to see science verify these things and, and explain them to us so that now we understand, oh, oh, that's why he said that. Really cool. I always found that fascinating. All right, Kevin, been uh, waiting to hear what you have to say for this week's study. All right. Well, I, I appreciate it. It is great to be on here with you guys as usual. So um, if I end up with a lot of background noise, I, I have to offer my apologies. I didn't know that they were going to be practicing the praise and worship <laughs> music. And, uh, so they're on the other side of the wall. So if it gets too noisy, just mute me and I'll just listen in because this is some good stuff. So so thank you. Um, the first thing I want to mention was this Kitetze, this Torah portion. Um, it actually has 
more commandments than any other Torah portion. There's actually 74 uh, commandments. Um, and it actually, when you divide it up uh, into different groups of related concepts, uh, there's 26 groups. <laughs> and uh, everything from rules of engagement and war to how do you handle uh, you know, workers and lending and borrowing and uh, women, marriage, uh, you know, also there's so many subjects and the subject of abominations is, is big. And so that's where I was kind of, you know, I'm hearing what Jake was saying and I wanted to elaborate on that. And the, the thing is, uh, my heart is a little heavy uh, because right now it really is. We're about three weeks away from Yom Teruah. OK, and uh, that's another way of saying the some people call it Feast of Trumpets. Uh, Jewish tradition calls it Rosh Hashanah. You know, it's uh, it's it has all sorts of significant prophetic implications, but it's a time of uh, leading up to that, especially as a deep repentance, because it does mark the coronation of the king and uh, the judgments that come. And, and the fact of the matter is the Bible is clear that judgment comes first to the house of the Lord. Right. So if we think we're on the Lord's team, if we feel like we are part of his house, uh, then judgment is going to come to us first because the truth of the matter is he's got a lot of cleaning up to do. And so, and I look at myself when I say that, and, um, and I, I have, there's examples out of this specific tour portion over my, you know, roughly 12, 12, 13 year walk uh, in pursuit of this type of uh, lifestyle approach, right? Is, is I've been confronted time and time again when I realized that I was violating these things and, and it didn't seem like a problem at the time. And uh, I mean, and so, I mean, just a, as a testimony, you know, it says, I mean, Jay pointed out, you know, that, it, that, you know, a man should not, you know, wear the clothes that belong to a woman and vice versa, because that would be an abomination to the Lord and, and it's, it would defile your land, right? But I look back in participation in Christian ministry um, where basically me and this other guy thought it would be really funny to do a skit and we dressed up like Sonny and Cher and I'm about two feet taller than him. So I dressed up as Cher. So I'm like this big six foot four, 230 pound Cher <laughs> with gold boots. And I'm singing a song and I got makeup. We sang, I got you, babe. And it was all funny and I had a picture like they took a picture of it. And, and I think the people were stunned because it was so convincing. Right. And I had this picture in the house. Well, Several years later, and I hadn't even really considered the tour, but it was very early in my walk. Um, I had a very good friend that I had a lot of respect for, and he was Orthodox Jewish guy at work. And he and I got into a lot of conversations, and they actually invited us to Sukkot to celebrate Sukkot with them at their house. And so we had dinner together in their sukkah, in their backyard in Dallas. And, and Amanda and I were the only ones that were believers in Yeshua, but it was an honor to be invited uh, to, ha to have Sukkot with them. So they came over to our house at, at a separate time for another purpose. And these picture was in the living room. And, and I was talking to him about, well, Yeshua's the Messiah. He's calling us back into covenant. He's all these things. And they're looking over these pictures. And he goes, who is this? And I was like, oh, that was me. We did this big fundraiser thing. And it was a Christmas party back then. And, and uh, oh, yeah, and that's me dressed up like Cher. Ha, ha, ha. And he kind of looked at me like, I thought you were following the Torah. I thought oh, yeah. you were... I thought your Messiah was leading you into Torah. And, and you know, he didn't really have to even say anything. And I, I'm just saying that that was the look in his eyes. But I but once I came across these scriptures, I understand how much of a hypocrite I actually was. I call myself a Bible-believing Christian. But yet here I am doing exact things that the Bible says is an abomination. 
And, and I really kind of wasn't even aware of it because we weren't really taught it, right? However, I was responsible for that. So I burned up the picture, right? And I don't do share impersonations anymore. <laughs> and, um, but the bottom line is, is as we examine the scriptures, the Lord is calling us back to a kingdom. I mean, our Messiah has said, there's gonna be wars, rumors, wars, pestilence. I've said this numerous times on this program, right? On this, this broadcast we do. He said, then the gospel of the kingdom is gonna be proclaimed and then the end will come. And so, so as, as we study these commandments, if we have any expectation that we're gonna join our king in his kingdom, in his land, it would be a good idea for us to apply his word and bring the judgment on ourselves now so that there's less judging that has to go on when the time comes because it is coming, okay? And so that's my mindset. And, and I'm coming to you from the perspective of repentance. And I don't apply these laws to general society because the truth of the matter is, is they're not in covenant. I, I want to encourage them to be in covenant. I want them to understand about, uh, about forgiveness and repentance and, and, and humbling ourselves and not being so prideful to just constantly just think we can do it our own way and, and put the Lord's stamp of approval on it, splashing blood of Jesus on there and we're good to go. And I can continue on doing what I did once I've said that prayer. And, and he's calling us to much higher than that. He wants us to be children of light and not children of the darkness. And so this is, this is my heart. And, and, in this, and I want to show you something from this particular Torah portion. that Because uh, I've basically just confessed to you that I'm a Torah breaker. And I have been. But I've repented of that. Right? So there's still hope. Right? And, but this is how consistent the Lord is with respect to his laws. And, and looking at, and I, I want to build upon what... Um, what we were just talking about a second ago when Jake was mentioning about uh, from Deuteronomy 21, 22, right? And it's in the Torah says, if a man has committed a sin deserving of death, he's to be put, he's to be put to death. Okay. Do justice. Right. And if you hang him on a tree, his body will not remain overnight on the tree, but you shall surely bury him that same day so that you will not defile the land. Okay for which Yahweh your Elohim is giving you as an inheritance, for he who is hanged is accursed of Elohim. And so what the parallel that I'm drawing is if we look in Revelation, what we see, check out Revelation starting in 11.7. It's talking about the two witnesses, okay? And these guys were, they, it's during this tribulation period, right? It's before the arrival of the Antichrist, uh, or the, the Nimrod in, incarnate, whatever you want to call him. Right. But when these two witnesses, they're prophesying for 42 months. Right. And they can even call down fire from heaven. They're doing the things that Elijah did. And he's speaking to Israel, saying, you need to repent of your idolatry and come back and get in covenant with me. No more mixture with the Baals and the Asherahs and the Easters and the Santas and all that stuff. Right. But it says here, when they finish their testimony, talking about these two witnesses, the beast that comes out of the bottomless pit will make war against them. He will overcome them and kill them. And their dead bodies will lie in the street of the great city. Now, the great city is Jerusalem, right? That's the greatest city of all. That's the city of our king, right? He says, which is spiritually called Saddam and Egypt. So at the time that this happens, it's like the, the spiritual purity has shifted to be more like Sodom and Egypt, right? Instead of Jerusalem. And it says also where our Lord was crucified. He was crucified at Jerusalem, okay? But here's what it, here's the key and how it links to the Torah portion. He says, then those from the peoples, tribes, tongues, and nations will see their dead bodies for three and a half days because they did not allow their dead bodies to be put into graves. And those who dwell on the earth will rejoice over them and make merry 
and send gifts to each other because these two prophets tormented those who dwell on the earth. And so this is the Torah principle that says you're supposed to bury the dead and not leave them out. But they left them out for three and a half days. So what we see happen is very shortly after this portion of Revelation, you see the false prophet, the beast of the earth, arise and give power to the beast. And, and, and he's the one that they, they kill these two witnesses. However, we see now the bowls of wrath being poured out because this guy has a period of time that he operates. It's three and a half years because it's one day of the, the two witnesses laying in the streets of Jerusalem. There's one year of cleansing and purification because the land has defiled by putting those guys to death. And so we see the judgment come. Now, this is not unprecedented. Uh, in the word in Ezekiel chapter 4, the prophet lays on his side for 390 days, right? And it's one day for each year for the house of Israel, right? And then he does, he eats his Ezekiel bread, which we've already discussed. We don't have Ezekiel bread today, I promise you. <laughs> Because we don't cook it the way Ezekiel had to cook it. Otherwise, nobody would eat it. Okay? But, <laughs> but he also laid on his side for 40 days for the house of Judah. So we see judgment coming to the house of Israel first, judgment coming to the house of Judah second, and then judgment comes to the world, all because the land, and the basis for the punishment is the land being defiled by the death of these two witnesses. And so that was what I wanted to share with you. Now, what I would suggest about this is this is the words of Yeshua, okay? Revelation 22, starting in verse 1. This is our Messiah talking, okay? Blessed are those who do his commandments, right? He doesn't say talk about them, doesn't say gloss over them, doesn't say nail them to the cross or anything. Blessed are those who do his commandments that they may have the right to the tree of life and they may enter through the gates into the city, but outside are the dogs, the sorcerers, the sexually immoral, and that's homosexual and heterosexual immorality, okay? They're, they're both in that same bucket. Murderers, idolaters, and whoever loves and practices a lie. And if it's not in the word, it's a lie. And if we're practicing it, we need to repent. And I'm telling you, this is what I think the message is. And this is not coming from me because verse 16, it says, I, Jesus, <laughs> Yeshua, have sent my angel to testify to you of these things in the churches. I am the root of the offspring of David and the bright and the morning star. And so the message is, he's talking to us. He's telling us we have to repent of these things if we want to have hope of coming into the tree of life. And it's not, we're not earning our salvation or whatever, but if we embrace lies and we don't, we don't at least have some remorse and, and strive for repentance, that's what our Messiah has to say. And I'm telling you, within the body of the church, if I can be dressing up like Cher, breaking the Torah, thinking I'm okay because I'm doing a fundraiser, you know, I, it's just not right. And, and so we have to repent of these things. And so I guess the last thing, the last thing I'll say is in Deuteronomy 32, 16, he's talking about his own people. He says, they provoked him, our Lord, to jealousy with their foreign gods, with their abominations. They provoked him to anger. I, I don't want to make dad angry, Okay. I want, to, I want to behave in a way that pleases my father. And so, so that's the spirit where I'm operating in. And I, 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 I'm a, that was all dressing points that Jake brought up. And I had a few for Juan Carlos. But what I'll do, Rob, is I'll stop for a minute because I said a lot of stuff. And I want to give everybody a chance to give feedback on that before I hit on the points that Juan brought up.
<clears throat> yeah. Um, I see, as usual, there are people in the chat room trying to say that what we're doing here, mixing so-called so mixing law and grace, is the same as mixing wool and linen. <laughs> wow, that's an ignorant statement. But uh, we see right here, Yeshua himself said, right, blessed are those who do his commandments. I don't know what you're missing there, buddy. <laughs> blessed are those who do his commandments, that they may have the right to the tree of life and enter the gates of the city. So, bro, if you actually want to enter into the city and have the benefit of partaking in this, you need to understand what we're doing here, <laughs> you know, what we're talking about here. No, law and grace have always been together. The, the whole idea of dispensations, dispensation of grace versus dispensation of law, that's a lie. That's a lie. It's a false doctrine created by Darby and promoted by Schofield to prop up an ad hoc theory, you know, to justify an equally bogus doctrine of the pre-trip rapture. Sorry to be so harsh on this, but it's simply the truth. We don't know who we are anymore because of all this stuff. And, you know, I, I've, I've gotten, like, it's, it's become like a mission for me to try to educate the, the church, you know, because so many, and I was one of them, like I read in the Facebook post that I did the other day, I was in that same camp. That would have said all these same things 10 years ago. So, you know, on, in some sense, I got to remember where I was back then, you know, and, and maybe cut some people some slack. But at, at the same time, I feel a sense of urgency. We, we, this is like, if we really are in the last days, as many people think we are, then like, we got to figure this stuff out. We got to get this stuff right. In, in the last commandment, in, or not commandment, but, uh, well, it is a commandment. In the uh, end of the so-called Old Testament, in the end of the, the book of Malachi, it says, remember ye the law of Moses in an end times context. You know, here is the testimony of the saints, right? Here, here is the patience of the saints in Revelation. Those who keep the commandments and the testimony of Jesus Christ, of Yeshua, right? Law and grace have always been together. Law without grace is tyranny. Grace without law is anarchy. <laughs> you know, I mean, you have to have both working hand in hand together. And, and if you think I'm crazy, read First John chapter 2. Like, stop what you're doing. Stop this broadcast. You can catch it in the archives. Stop right now. Go. Re Maybe we should just do it right now. Because <laughs> I know people won't do it if I just tell them to. I think I will. Let's do a little Bible study here, shall we? <laughs> That's kind of what the show's about, right? First, <laughs> First John chapter 2. Okay, pay attention. Actually, actually... Actually, maybe this is a good moment to, to, to share the, another part of this Torah portion that is what is written in the chapter 21, verse 18, Deuteronomy verse 20. 21? Hang on a second. Deuteronomy 21, what? <laughs> oh. Deuteronomy. Yeah, chapter 21, verse 18. It's about the rebellious son. And you know, it's important, Rob, because uh, it's connected to what you said, but we need to, we need to look with, uh, with Yahuwah's eyes. It's talking about all this, this, this teaching about the rebellious son. And that there are two things that I, you know, it caught my attention and I wanted to share. Because if we see this, this, uh, this situation in the Torah of Yehovah, how to handle this situation with the rebellious son. And then just, just let me mention something before. This full, 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 full instruction, full commandment, when we see, we saw this is really hard. Because it's talking about the son, the mother, and the father uh, bringing the son in order to to, to bring justice because of the, his rebel, rebel, rebellion, and, and and we tend to to believe that this is a kid, a child. It's not a child because it's saying in the chapter in the verse twenty, he is a glutton and a drunkard. It's talking. We are talking about an adult. 
that uh, they try to teach them in uh, teach him in the way that he grew up and uh, he's totally disobedient disobedient of the word so so it's important to understand we're not talking about a child we're talking about an adult in, in this portion so so we see this this comparison between what we see here with an adult a, a rebellious son with the with the amazing the amazing the parable of Yahushua Hamashiach about the prodigal son you know the prodigal son was a rebellious son he, he wanted to depart from the father he went astray he were he was a uh, uh, sharing with the world uh, breaking the the commandments of the of the of his father but in one moment he woke up and he repent mm -hmm. he repent from the heart and also uh, repentance and I think I shared this in, in a few few weeks ago what is repentance uh, is and we need to understand this from a Hebrew mindset a Hebrew concept from from here directly from here from this book what repentance is not only as uh, a feeling it's an action it's like faith faith without works is death repentance without uh, without going back without returning doing the action of returning to Yahuwah is totally dead. Repentance is something from the heart. It's a change in the mind, it's change on the heart. But also we need to accompany this with returning to doing Teshuvah in, in Hebrew. Doing Teshuvah, returning to Yahuwah, Elohim, returning to the Father. So, so we see these two things, the justice done in this Torah portion, instruction for the rebellious son, the one that doesn't want to repent, and returning to the commandments of Yahuwah, returning to the obedience to the Father, with this parallel that Yahushua is bringing in this amazing parable, that this son is going through repentance and going back, returning to the Father. So, so we need to we need to look into this with this mindset. Yahushua is speaking Torah, but in this case, he's saying there is a commandment. We can say it in this way: it's a commandment about how to treat a rebellious son. The one that is, is basically bringing leaven to the to the body of Mashiach, to the body of, and, and the people of Yahuwah. But there is a way out, and that way out is repentance, changing of the heart, changing of the mind, doing Teshuvah, returning to the Father. Yes. And, that, and see, and that's, that's, oh, I'm sorry, Jake. I was just going to say that for, for that, Juan Carlos, was that, that really it does boil down to this. And I wrote down several examples from the Torah that where the Lord referred to things as abominations, okay? And in Leviticus chapter 11, there's this abominations are described as there's forbidden foods, right? So it, it gets into eating pork, uh, shellfish, you know, different animals that are not considered clean animals, okay? And that defiles the body. But there's also forbidden sexual relationships, right? Leviticus 18 lays them out Leviticus 20:13 these are inconvenient truths but these are not for the people of Lord because he reviews he views this as an abomination and and that and it says it defiles the body and the land again I mentioned cross-dressing in Deuteronomy 22:5 right and then following pagan practices this is another thing he calls an abomination in Deuteronomy 18 verses 9 through 14 he says don't when you go in there and dispossess these nations do not follow their ways. Jeremiah chapter 10 tells us the same thing. The, another thing that's an abomination, child sacrifice. I mean, it's, it's just a fact that within our churches, our, our people are going to Planned Parenthood and they're, you know, eliminating their children. And, and this, the, these are called abominations to the Lord. And I'm not condemning anybody that's going through this. That's why I say the, the, the law is the law, but the grace is, look, there's a path to repentance. And Yeshua paid the price 
but he didn't do it so we could just keep on going down there once a month when we could get ourselves in trouble. He wants to put an end to all these things, right? Eating a peace offering on the third day, that's also an abomination because Yeshua is our peace and he's coming back on the third day. And if you wait till the fourth day, you're getting the wrong stuff. You're going to miss out, right? So you have to eat it by the third day. The Torah is teaching us that we, Yeshua said to eat my flesh and drink my blood. That means come into covenant with him, get fully in him. And then any tithes or offerings that are sourced from prostitution, male or female prostitution. Uh, Deuteronomy 23:18 says, and, and so if, if we think that, well, we can do all these things and we're going to get a bunch of money because we have a big vision for the church. But the Lord says, you know what? I don't expect my people to defile themselves this way. And if you're selling your, your daughters into prostitution, if, if you're participating in prostitution, which is not allowed, that you're selling your daughters, where, where does the corruption end? Aren't you supposed to be holy? Why are you letting the nations trample your family? Why are you doing these things? You shouldn't be doing these things, right? And then Deuteronomy 24.4, there's remarriage under certain conditions as permitted. And again, the idols in Deuteronomy 7.26, right? The house is set for destruction. And that's why when Yeshua says, when you see the abomination of desolation showing up in the holy place, standing in the holy place, as mentioned by the prophet, Daniel, let the reader flee. Let all who can read go to flee to the wilderness. Leave Jerusalem, leave Judea, right? Because the Lord is not inconsistent. If he's going to set his own house for destruction, if, if he tells us that our house is going to be set for destruction for idols, if somebody sets an idol up in his house, he has to destroy it too. And here's the other thing. Last time I checked, we were supposed to be the, the temple of the Holy Spirit. So do I have these, am I tolerating these abominations in my temple? If I am, my body is set for destruction. Why do we have cancer? Why do we have depression? Why do we have bad credit when we buy $5,000 worth of Chinese toys on Christmas and just turn around and put them in the yard sale at 10% of their value three months later? You know, again, I mentioned abortion. All these things we do in our own churches, in our own body as believers, and we must, and that's where grace comes into play because he's paid the price and he's inviting us to come back into covenant. But ultimately, if we refuse to clean up the temple, then he's going to send somebody in there to clean it up. And it might be our enemy. And that's the scary part of all. Because if he says, when you're disobedient to my ways, I'm going to allow your enemies to vex you. And then you might cry out to me and then you'll repent of your wickedness and then I'll forgive and heal. So, so this, I'm just saying, let's just make the process easier on ourselves. Let's help out our brothers and sisters. And this is where, I mean, if, if I, I've known people that have had more than one abortion and they are tormented when they come into to relationship with the Lord, they's like, I, I, I just can't even imagine. And, and, you know, and ministering to these people and just saying there's grace, there's mercy. You know, you're going to see that child on the other side of the resurrection. You know, and and you you can come and be an encouragement to women and help them. You, you, I'm pro-choice. Make the right choice. <laughs> Make the good choice. You know, that's that's the choice that needs to be made. And and so I'm just saying that we have all of this within the church. And and I don't think most Christians would disagree. And so my question is, well, then what's your basis for saying that is wrong? You know, if 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 I tell you, I don't want to eat baby back ribs because you know. <laughs> Anyway, all I'm saying is this, where is the standard defined for what is wrong and what is right? And I'm telling you, it's in the word. And, and when we deviate from that, we're just we're just setting ourselves up for failure. And so so that that's my and, and the other thing on this abominations. Again, the way that this is the word to'ava in Hebrew, 
right? And it's translated as abominable, abominable act, abomination, abominations, detestable, detestable act, detestable thing, detestable things, loathsome, and an object of loathing. Does any of that sound good at all that we would want to be associated with it as believers in the Messiah? And so before I start going out here and getting on these people about you should this parade, this and that pride, that I need to address myself and clean up my own house. And, and, and then I won't be such a hypocrite. And, and that's what that's what been, has been my personal you know, challenge is, is before I start going out and telling the rest of the world who don't believe in the Lord, who don't believe in the Messiah, who, who could care less. And I'm just going to engage in an argument with them. What's the point when we have our own brothers and sisters who are suffering because of tolerance of these abominations? And so I'll get off my soapbox. But that's that's what I wanted to bring with respect to that aspect of the Torah portion. Yeah, right on. I want to go back to what I started talking about before because the, the chat room's exploding right now, <laughs> as usual. This is nothing new. Uh, again, those of you guys who are going ballistic right now, thinking, "Oh, you're a bunch of Judaizers!" Ah, dispensation. Okay, please, please, I'm begging you. I told you at the beginning of this broadcast, there are some cool videos that you really need to check out. Look, I understand. I've been there, done that, got the T-shirt. Used to preach it myself. Okay, there's nothing you're saying in the chat room that I didn't say myself for 40 years. All right, been there. Most of us here have. Most of the people on this call, I would say, probably everybody on this call has. Go back to the Torah portion uh, page, which is Deuteronomy week number 49. Read everything that I got here. Watch these videos, four videos, okay? You know, take the time to watch these videos. Watch Identity Crisis. Figure out who you are. Lost Sheep complements that. Figure out the errors of dispensation, because there's a lot of error in dispensation theology. Read Romans 7 through 11, which destroys dispensation theology. Romans 11 completely obliterates it. Ephesians 2, Galatians 3 obliterates dispensation theology you don't know who you are okay you got to figure that out uh people say well paul 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 was given right king james this is part of the other problem king james onlyism i'm going to come against that sorry i I love the king james a study from the king james it's not the end all be all that you think it is all right it's just not um and any reasonable scholar who's looked it has critical thinking skills who can look at words will tell you that you can look this up. Paul says that he's been given the dispensation of grace, right? So now all of a sudden dispensation in the mind of these people that, that think this way, think that Paul's talking about a whole separate time period. No, that's not what the word means. The word means stewardship, administration. You can look it up for yourself. Click on the little Greek tab there, right? Administration, oikonomian, administration. D- think dispensation, okay, as, as, as an administration or stewardship or something that you are responsibly handling and giving away. You remember the Pez dispensers? Remember those little Pez dispensers you could buy, the little candy toy? Did that talk about time travel, splitting up time? Did, did you get a Pez dispenser to, to zap into another time period? <laughs> no. You had a little thing, a little toy that opened up, and what did it do? It dispensed the candy for you, okay? It's about administration. It's about stewardship. It's not about dividing up time periods, okay? We're not talking about back to the future here. Well, but wait, 2 Timothy 2.15, which, by the way, was my life verse growing up, folks. This was the verse that was drilled into my head as a memory verse as a kid, right? Well, it says rightly dividing, right? We've got to rightly divide the word of truth, right? It says right there, King Jimbo, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not be ashamed. Rightly dividing. See, hack up the word of God at the time periods. No, that's not what the word's talking about there. Look that one up again. A work with Nina accurately handling orthotomonta. I don't know if I said that right. 
accurately handling. It's this King James onlyism that comes out of Darbyism, which is all part of dispensation theology that's got people completely jacked up that they don't even know who they are anymore. And I'm passionately against it. I was raised in that. I understand all of it. But now, after I know who I am and, and what the requirements are to get into the kingdom, we, we showed you Jesus Christ himself, okay, said, listen, those who keep the commandments, get, guess what you get to do? You get to eat from the tree of life and you get to enter the city in the millennial reign. If you don't, what do you think the alternative is? Or if you don't, right? Now, I said I was going to read this before, and I'm going to read it to you now. So those of you in the chat room still going psycho, uh, pay attention. All right? Here we go. First John chapter 2. My little children, these things write I unto you, that ye sin not. So John's saying it's possible to not sin. Well, let's now let's go to the next chapter here so we can make sure everybody's on the same page, right? Let's look up sin. Okay, First John chapter, First John chapter three verse four: Whosoever committeth sin, transgresses the law, or transgresseth the law. For sin is what is sin? Sin is the transgression of the law. Write it down. Sin is what, boys and girls? Oh, sin is transgression of the law. So let's replace the generic word sin with the definition, shall we? My little children, these things write unto you, that ye transgress not the law. And if any man transgresses the law, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Amazing. That's awesome. That's fantastic. Because guess what? We're all going to screw up, right? None of us are perfect. All of us have sinned. All of us have fallen short. But if we do, we have an advocate, Jesus Christ the righteous. But that's, that's for if we screw up. The, the goal here is not to screw up. And he is a propitiation for our transgressions of the law. And not for ours only, but also for the transgressions of the law that the whole world did. And hereby do we know that we know him, if we keep his commandments. Now pay attention, guys. This is not Rob Skiba, Kevin Roberts, Juan Carlos, or Jake Grant talking here. This is the beloved disciple John saying, all right, this, okay? And hereby do we know that we know him. What? If we keep his commandments. Well, that's just Jesus' commandments, as if Jesus and the Father are separate. I hear this argument all the time. Jesus gave us two commandments. Love God, love your neighbor. Okay, what does it mean to love God? Let's try that one. First John chapter 5. Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of who? God. That's the Father, okay? And everyone that loveth him that begat, i.e. the Father, loveth him also that is begotten of him, i.e. Christ. By this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and keep his commandments. Now, in case you missed it, this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not grievous, not burdensome. People in the chat room, it's too hard, it's too much, you're trying to put a heavy yoke on us and we can't bear. Read Deuteronomy 30, <laughs> 31, you know, it's not too hard, it's not too heavy, you know. This is, oh, we, Jesus said we're only supposed to love God and our neighbor. How do you love God? It tells you right here. This is an open book test, guys. It's not rocket science. Okay, let me go back to 1 John chapter 2. Uh, now, again, John wrote this. All right. He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. I didn't say it. I didn't say that. John said that. But whosoever keepeth his word in him verily is the love of God perfected. 
Hereby know we that we are in him. He that saith he abideth in him ought also himself, ought also, King James, right? Ought himself also, I feel like Yoda talk, Yoda, Yoda backwards talk, eh? <laughs> he that saith he abideth in him ought himself also, also to walk even as he walked. Even as he walked. <laughs> Padawan. <laughs> oh, man. I, you know, I'm sorry. I don't know what else to do with this, guys. I mean, if you can't get it after that, um, I don't know what else to do. The only thing I'm just going to add, okay, and this, this is why it's heavy on me, okay? I get it. It says the prophets say that, that you know, the children of Ephraim or the northern kingdom, they consider the Torah a strange thing. Mm-hmm. But they also think that the prophecy of the Messiah is a strange thing. And that's why we have this eject button, the spiritual eject button called the rapture. And I do believe we'll meet the Lord in the in the sky. But I think we're going to have to go through some difficulties because he's got to purge this iniquity out of us. Right. And when the serpent is cast down out of heaven and it says that he goes after the woman who has fled in the, into the wilderness for the 1260 days for the 42 months because of the dead bodies laying in the streets, right? It says, but then he goes after the rest of her offspring, those who keep their commands, right? And maintain their testimony of Yeshua. You see, there's some people that are going to get this late and they're going to remain in the nations and they're going to miss their opportunity to be regathered, to be a part of the kingdom of Israel that the Messiah says is coming before the end comes. And so my my plea is it's an invitation to, to prepare and have a mindset that we're going home to help put this thing together. And, and if we remain out in the nations when the invitation goes out, because it will, uh, unless Yeshua is not telling us the truth, but he is the truth. And so I believe what he's saying is correct. And so that's why I'm passionate about studying these things out, because I don't want to get vomited back out of the land when we come back. Mm-hmm. And, and, and if our Christian brothers and sisters have a hard time with that, I, I totally get it. But he says, if you seek me, you'll find when you seek me with all your heart. I would just say, seek him on it. Add, spend some time in prayer. Listen to the still small voice. Go on some walks outside or you know, close your closet and turn off your YouTubes. And, except this one. <laughs> no, but in all seriousness, you know, listen to the still small voice and let him start guiding you and saying, is, is this right? And, and trust if you're filled with the Spirit, if you're going to be led by Him, if you're going off in error, trust that He'll give you correction and bring you back. Okay? And give him, test Him. Give Him a chance. Say, hey, I think what you said in your word is this, and these guys sound nuts, but they don't seem to be too held up in bondage like I've been told. But so are they saying anything that's right? And just give it a shot. Just try and see what happens. I don't think you're going to get demon-possessed as a result. You might find you're delivered. But here's, here's the thing that I'll tell you is the flip side of this, too. And it goes back to what one Carlos was talking about with, the, with uh, muzzling the ox. And, and this week when I was studying this out, this concept came to me uh, for the first time in this way. And it goes back to 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 9, verse 9. And he's talking about, you know, does the law not say the same also? Because it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain. Is it, is it oxen that our Heavenly Father is concerned about? Or does he say it altogether for our sakes, meaning him and the people who are trying to get this faith launched off the launching pad, right, to save the world, right? He says, you know, for our sakes, no doubt it is written that he who plows should plow in hope and that he who threshes in hope uh, should be a partaker of his hope. If we've sown 
spiritual things to you, is it a great thing if we read some material things? If others are partakers of this right over you, are we not even more? But he says, nevertheless, I don't use this right. He was a talit maker. You know, he, he didn't want to be a burden. He says, I, I wanted to endure all things so that we don't hinder the good news of the Messiah. But don't you know that those who minister the holy things eat of the things of the temple and those who serve at the altar partake in the altars? Here's, here's the thing. Verse 14 is the key. Even so, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should live from the gospel. If we have people that have devoted themselves to learning, helping, spreading, and understanding uh, the good news of this kingdom and our Messiah and the fulfillment of all these prophecies, it takes a long time. It takes a lot of work. It takes dedication to learn languages that are not your natural languages. And if you're pastoring and serving and doing all these things, Paul tells us right there, even so the Lord has commanded that those who preach this gospel should live from it. And so there's no shame. And in, in, in people talk about tithing agriculture. It just says right there, material offerings. They, they're, there's more to it than just giving some grain because most of us aren't even grain farmers. And here's the thing. If we had an appreciation for how the Lord feels about the animals, right? He says, shoo the mother hen away from the nest before you take the eggs, right? He tells us if you see your neighbor's uh, donkey in a ditch, go help him out. Even if it's your enemy's donkey, the poor animal's dying. And, and if you see an oxen, you know he's hungry, and you're going to put a muzzle on him. I mean, the Lord shows his compassion for animals. What I'm imagining is this. If you have this big ox, and that's another way of saying a great big Texas longhorn bull, right? A big old strong 2,000-pound animal that's moving this heavy rock, and it's crushing grain. And he's looking down thinking, I'm starving. And when he's about to stop and try to sniff down there, he probably has somebody behind him, you know, whipping him, make him keep going. And this is what I think is, is so true of pastors or people who are, are strong, passionate about this, is they have that inner drive that says, I, I got bills to pay. I got kids. I don't have a health insurance program. I don't even know if I'm going to pay my rent. But there's this inner, you know, provoking and pushing on and it's like it's like i'm getting getting hit because i just can't stop preaching this gospel and and do you think that the lord looks at one of his servants like that with any less concern than a dumb animal who could be sacrificed during sukkot anyway and make hamburgers i mean don't you think he's very concerned about his people but they say but no we're going to keep treading we're going to keep going we're not the lord's going to provide somehow some way but the amount of stress that's on these people that are trying to do this work to encourage us. Uh, and, and then we don't even say, well, that's all for a different time. That's all agricultural. You know, we're spitting on the cross. I'm sorry. This, this is not right. We should be financially sowing. We should be helping people uh, make this task easier. And, uh, and, I, and I, I mean, I just know, I hear it all the time from pastors. Well, you know, we have 2% of the congregation that ties but then the rest of them don't give really anything. And I know a lot of them are hurting. And not, but I mean, they're, they're having a hard time keeping the lights on and, and, and doing their work. And they have a lot of added stress. And the body is so big and so blessed by the Lord. We, we just need to step it up, frankly. Um, and so Brother Judah doesn't seem to have that problem. There's synagogues and they run schools. And, you know, but we, we're tied up in materialism. And we're so worried about our idols and our Christmas parties and our Easter eggs and everything else. We spend all our money on that. Instead of helping people who are out in the mission field, going into Syria, helping out Muslims that have been 
you know, torn up by Russian bombs and American bombs and ISIS bombs and everybody else's bombs, and they're ripe for the gospel, but yet, who do we have over there? Nobody. And, and why not? Well, maybe it's because they don't have enough funding to get over there. They probably have some really good partners in Israel that would help them out. So I'm just saying, we, we got to quit this idea that we don't have to participate financially. If we have the resources, it just shows you where our heart is. And I'm telling you, the Lord's heart is with those oxen that are doing his, his work. And so I just wanted to, to just elaborate on that. Um, and so I, that, that's probably enough said. Yeah, amen. Well, you know, all these, uh, all these people freaking out have no problem with the commandment of tithing. <laughs> We're not supposed to do the commandments, but don't remember, don't forget, don't forget to tithe. <laughs> You're robbing God if you don't. But, yeah, whatever. Go ahead, Jake. Hey, uh, I just wanted to make a connection. Uh, you know, as uh, Kevin was talking about how we're drawing in towards the uh, the fall feasts, you know, this is a kind of like a, a reflective time and also a time that, like, my mind starts naturally looking at the book of Revelation and, and things like that because, you know, we see there's a parallel with the judgments um, in, in Revelation and also, yeah, you, we want to prepare ourselves in advance so that those judgments don't fall on us. I want to tie it to something in our tour portion that, Juan was pointed out the the stoning of the rebellious son, and uh, and I wanted to point this out because I find it really fascinating. Um, uh, but you know that there's that premise that we are formed from the dust of the earth, you know, and and Yah breathes His spirit on us. So um, you know, th there's this interesting thing that you know we're we're made from the dust of the earth, you know. So it's almost like there's kind of like that that re that parental relationship, which would tie into something that happens later. Um, I'm not some Gaia dude. I'm not talking about that. I'm just trying to make a correlation here with something I wanted to point out. Is um, Deuteronomy 30. Uh, uh, hold on. I, I just lost it. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, here it is. Um, Deuteronomy 30, 19 um, is uh, where uh, they say, Today I call heaven and earth as witnesses against you uh, that I have set life and death blessing and curse before you. And I, I saw somebody in the comment asking, well, why didn't Yeshua stone the woman caught in adultery? Well, the answer, according to Torah, was he wasn't one of the two witnesses that would have caught her. And so legally, he, he would have been wrong to do that. Um, but it's an interesting thing that we see here in Deuteronomy 30, when it comes to all of these commandments that uh, heaven and earth are called as witnesses against, uh, you know, uh, against the people who, who if they obey, they you know, you know, good things, and if they disobey, the curse. And this is a direct correlation to something that happens in the day of the Lord. You know, we know the judgments of the book of Revelation talk about how there are all these terrible bowls of wrath poured out. Um, and one of those things is heaven, the heavens and earth stepping forward as witnesses against mankind and those who are rebels among us. And guess who cast the first stones? Those two witnesses. And, uh, and this ties to Revelation uh, chapter 16 with the great hails that come down and the earthquakes and um, and you know this is a parallel with Psalms uh, Psalms chapter 50 um, talking about the day of the Lord the mighty God even the Lord has spoken and called the earth from the rising of the sun unto the going down thereof out of Zion the perfection of beauty God hath shined our God shall come and shall not keep silence a fire shall devour before him and it shall be very tempestuous round about him he shall call to the heavens from above and to the earth that he may judge his people. So one day, you know, this the heavens and the earth, which are 
you know, before us, they're, they're going to be a witness against us if we do not repent of our sins and, and call on the name of the Messiah. And that's the judgment that falls on uh, the, the people of the earth that have rebelled against the commandments of God. And, uh, and we see that, you know, it's interesting that this correlation with the, um, the stoning here in this uh, Torah portion where they take them out and they, they you know, they stone them so that the sin is purged among them. You know, well, it's all about this whole premise of a uh, uh, matter is established by two or more witnesses. And isn't it interesting that uh, right when all these commandments are given, you know, heaven and earth are called as witnesses. And then at the, the end of time, uh, in the day of the Lord, you know, that, that terrible wrath that we don't want to be placed on us, but will be placed on the world that turns and hardens their hearts against the commandment of God. Um, and, you know. You know, this is you know a really sobering thing, and something that we should be focusing on in these days leading up to the fall feast is like, you know, will those witnesses find me guilty in some area of my life? If that day comes and that time for those stones to be cast, will they say, you know, that's that's one that needs to be stoned and put out from amongst your midst, or are we going to people be people that have checked ourselves and repented of our sins, um, and and changed our lives so that we're not found guilty on the day that, you know, that judgment's called down on us. And I, I wanted to point out that correlation with uh, this Torah portion, the stoning of the two witnesses and how in the book of Revelation, you know, it's, it's heaven, the heavens and earth that start casting those first stones of judgment, you know, as the wrath of God's poured out. Yeah, I mean, you, you mentioned something there. I actually had Deuteronomy uh, 30 pulled up because I mentioned it earlier in my little rant there, but <laughs> uh, I want to bring up Deuteronomy 30 again uh, because there's this idea that that the the law is impossible. There's no way. There's no possible way we could keep the law. Uh, well, you know, I don't know. Moses was on mushrooms or something here because he said, for this commandment, I command thee this day, it is not hidden from thee, neither is it far off. Is it in heaven that Thou should say, who is going to go up to heaven and bring it down to us that we can hear to do it? Neither is it beyond the sea that thou shouldest say, who shall go out for the sea for us and bring it to us that we may hear to do it? No. That's not, <laughs> but the word is very nigh unto thee, in thy mouth, in thy heart, that thou mayest do it. See, I have set before you this day life and good and death and evil. In that I command thee this day to what? Love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, and keep his commandments from his statutes and his judgments, that thou mayest what? Live and multiply. And the Lord thy God shall what? Bless thee in the land whither thou goest to possess it. That sounds horrible. I, I, I don't know about you guys. I mean, that just seems like that sounds so terrible. Are you guys in bondage? I don't, I don't know where my chains are because I don't feel like I'm in bondage. Are you? Do you guys feel like this is too difficult? Anything that we're talking about here? No, but that's what we've all been no, raised to believe. That that's what we've been raised to believe in dispensation theology primarily. That's impossible. And yet we saw it. We see in Deuteronomy it's not impossible. We see uh, in First uh, John chapter 2 that it's, that it's not impossible. I'm writing these things that you sin not, that you transgress not the law. But if you do, recognizing that we are all going to fail eventually, well, we have an advocate. That's how grace and law work together. That's the whole point of the whole thing. Yeah, I don't know why this is so complicated. It's just, it's like we've been brainwashed or something. And, and really, I think it just, 
we need to pray because, you know, obviously me ranting and raving is not going to change anybody. Uh, it's got to be the Holy Spirit that's going to have to remove the veil from people's eyes. And I, I think, I, I don't know what it was, you know, why some people just get it really quickly, really easily, and, and others just can't get it. It's like when I, when I was first shown these things, because I was never really shown them, you know, and I never really took the time to look into it myself. But as soon as I did, I was like, boop, it was easy for me. I don't know why some people are, it is just, it's so difficult. Um, there's something else in this Torah portion, though, that stood out to me that I thought was interesting. Let me, it was my, we got a half hour here. I want to see if we can address this. Uh, Deuteronomy, what is it? 22, 22.30. Um, let me just put this up on the screen here. Deuteronomy 22.30. For a man shall not take his father's wife, nor uncover his father's bed. Um, this presents an interesting problem if you subscribe to the standard doctrine of the Trinity. You see what I'm getting at here? Do you see the problem? When, when mm-hmm. I was in dispensation theology and, and grew up in all of that, there was this belief that there were basically two gods, good cop, bad cop, right? Good cop, Jesus, bad cop, God. Two brides, the bride of Yahuwah, Israel, the bride of Christ, the church. And the church is going to get raptured out, and then God's going to beat the snot out of his wife for seven years until they finally love him. That was, They never taught it that way, specifically that way, but that was the gist of it. No, there's one bride, there's one groom. And as Jake pointed out earlier, that bride screwed up. And in Jeremiah chapter 3, he divorced her. But he says he's going to take her back also in Jeremiah and in Hosea and other places. And so this creates a, an interesting dilemma, right? How is... If he, if Yahuwah had his bride and he divorced her, but yet he keeps saying through the prophets that he's going to take her back again, how can he do that without violating his own law? Well, Paul's the one that figured it out. This is what drives me crazy about people in the Hebrew, so-called Hebrew roots movement. They want to throw out Paul. If you throw out Paul, you, you're missing the whole... Paul's the one that connected all the dots. He's the one that figured it all out and described it quite, quite well. In Romans and Ephesians and uh, was it First, Second Corinthians? If the husband be dead, right, the bride is free again to marry again. Who in Christ? So if Christ died to bring back the divorced bride, he, what did he say? He said, "I have only come for the lost sheep of the house of Israel." He said that. So he died to bring to to redeem the bride, but if he is a son in the sense that we think of, like. Uh, Juan Carlos had his son sitting next to him just now. If he's a son, how could he take back the bride of the father that was divorced without violating this, what I just said right here? A man shall not take his father's wife. Do you think maybe we have to rethink how we understand Yeshua? Do you see what I'm saying? And he's going back to prepare a place. Well, it's my understanding, and this is, I'm just putting this out there for people to consider, okay? Not thus saith the Lord. But this is, when I start looking at it, I'm going, man, this presents some interesting dilemmas here. Not if you realize that 
what Yeshua said, I and the Father are one, I think he really meant it. <laughs> you know, not just one as in a cod, like, you know, we're, we're together, like in marriage. Uh, I think he's actually one. And it is my opinion, where, where we see throughout the Old Testament that his mighty right hand is his salvation. The word there is Yeshua, his salvation. I am of the opinion that Yeshua is the actual physical right hand of the Father, that he is the right hand of the Father. Let me go back to this. Um, and that any time that we see uh, God interacting with man, like face-to-face as one speaks to a friend, as we see Moses doing, that if we go back to the account of Moses talking with God, right, and it clearly tells us in the Torah that Moses spoke with God face-to-face as one and speaks with a friend. And then it says, Moses says, hey, can I see your face? I mean, he just says he's speaking face-to-face with him as one speaks with a friend. And God says, no, you can't. No one can see that and live. So he has to put him in the cleft of the rock and hide him with what? Oh, his hand. Then he went by, and Moses was able to see the back of God as he went went by. It is my opinion that any time that, that God was interacting one-on-one with man like that, that it was Yeshua. That, that that was doing so and for me that reconciles a whole lot of things but wanted to get your take on it there is another thing to consider Rob and this is something that I have been studying for, for a while already and it's about uh, what is there uh, was written by, by Paul in the book of Romans chapter 7 when he's explaining and connecting the dots of all of this is that uh, he's saying in Romans chapter 7 uh, verse 4 so, my brothers, you also were put to death to the Torah through the body of Mashiach. For you to become another's, the one who was raised from the dead, that we should bear fruit to Elohim. I, I totally agree with what you said, but this is an additional angle that is, is so important and based on what I have been studying. And it's, so, it's totally related to what Yahushua was speaking with Nicodemus. It's about being born again. You know, the, what the, uh, Paul is talking in this chapter of Roman is that uh, we are bound to, to the instruction, the specific instruction of Torah, why we are uh, alive. At the moment we are dead, we are not bound to the, to the instruction of Torah. If we live again, we need to follow the instruction of Torah. So, so what is the, the, the full born again situation going on? Uh, you know, the, we, we, there's, there are two steps of uh, being born again. One is in water, and the second one is in spirit. In water, we, you know, that is baptism. And the spirit is going to happen. When's going to happen in baptism? In, in spirit, I mean. It's going to happen at the moment of the resurrection. Or it's going to happen at the moment of the, the transformation. So, so, so we, are going, we are going to go through a kind of real death. And living again in the same way that Yahushua was dying and living again in his resurrection. So, so by the only fact that we're going to die, live again, this is somehow going and apply exactly what you were saying. That uh, uh, we're going to be a new creature. And being a new creature, we're going to be able to be from another man. In this case, Yahushua HaMashiach, the Melech. That's good. Right, but that that only works if if we don't think of two brides and and two different people. Correct. It's right. only one bride. It's only one and bride. That's another, another, and that's another important topic that I wanted to bring today. You know, the Jake mentioned something really interesting about the the woman caught in adultery. In this is written in John, 
And, and beside the, the two witnesses, I want to bring another topic that is really important to look uh, into this angle. Uh, you know, the Pharisees were bringing this woman uh, caught in adultery, and they said the, the Torah of Moshe told us that we need to stone this woman. And, and Yahushua was uh, saying the, the contrary, if you are free of sin, uh, throw the first stone. But they were not free of sin. They were transgressing, transgressing the law, and not only because of the two witnesses and three witnesses. If we read carefully what is written in this, in this, this Torah portion in the chapter 22, verse 22 of the Deuteronomy, it says the following, when a man is found lying with a woman married to a husband, listen to this, then both of them shall die, both the man mm -hmm. that lay with the woman and the woman, thus you shall purge the evil from Israel. The Pharisees were bringing just the woman, yep. not the man. And the instruction is, is really clear here is that the both of them were sentenced to the punishment. So, so they were transgressing the Torah and the commandment, just trying to, to put sentence on the woman and not on the man. So, so, so you know, I was wondering myself, and, and this is the, the, the whole question of everybody, that they, what was a, a Yahushua writing down in the earth? <laughs> I was wondering myself when I when I found this many years ago, maybe he was, he was writing on there, Devarim Deuteronomy, chapter 22, verse 22. <laughs> and when they was reading this, they realized, okay, we are breaking, we are breaking Torah. We are committing sin. And that's why we're, they, they're convicting in their hearts that they were doing something wrong. So, so, so this is one thing. And, and the second thing that is, is so important, and for me it was uh, so mind-blowing, mind but because the whole story about the, the, the woman caught in adultery in, in, in John, in Yahuhanan, is a clear picture of the forgiveness and the restoration of what I call our mother. Is a, and, and, and you know who is our mother, because we have a father and we have a mother, for sure. And, and we can read this in, in the entire scripture and... You know, in order to go in more deeper details, we need three hours for this, and we don't have time now. Mm -hmm. But uh, it's, it's the redemption. It's the redemption. Through Yahushua, the woman that went through adultery, she was forgiven. It's the same way and the same picture of his bride that's going to be forgiven by Yahushua HaMashiach. And you know what was the final word of Yahushua to the woman caught in adultery? Go and sin no more. Go on, sin no more. And exactly what say what you were saying, Rob. This is not only speaking about the woman, the bride of, of Yahushua. It's also speaking to us. You know, we were forgiven, and you know that this is something that was in my heart uh, just minutes minutes ago when we were talking about this the rebellion thing and so on. Yahushua himself said, you know, we don't need to fear the one that can kill the body. We need to fear the one that is able to kill the body and the soul, casting down to the lake of fire, to Gehinom. And who is the one? Because most of the people uh, don't understand and they believe that he's talking about the devil, he's talking about Satan. Not at all. Who is the one that is able to kill the body and the soul? It's Yahuwah Elohim. And what's gonna when is going to happen that? It's going to happen on the second death. And you know what? What is written in Revelation? The second death is going to be as part of the judgment, and the judgment is going to be according to the works. And what are the works? It's according to the commandment and the way of Yahuwah. So, so can you imagine, and can you, you know, I wonder in myself, if that judgment is going to be according to the works, it's going to be according to the justice of Yahuwah. What's, what he's expecting from us in terms of justice, in terms of righteousness, in order to be able to participate in the first resurrection, mm -hmm. and to be able to participate in the kingdom of Yahuwah. If the second in the judgment and the second death is going to be part of a according to the works so so you know going back and i'm sorry because i needed to mention that it was in my heart for a while but uh, but uh, coming back to the point 
this amazing uh, picture and shadow, foreshadow of the woman caught in adultery, who the redemption and the and the redemption and the restitution of what I said is our mother. And you know, Paul is connecting the dots so amazingly and so wonderfully to understand who is that woman, who is our mother, and we see a lot of pictures and a lot of dots connected in in the book of Hosea and in the book of Ezekiel, in the book of Revelation, and so on, in order to understand this amazing restoration by the hand of Yahushua HaMashiach. Can I just add two points to what Juan just said? Because that's astounding. Please. First one, when it was talking about this mystery about the woman caught in the act of adultery, and it is correct, they didn't execute Torah correctly because they didn't bring the man as well. Uh, But also, Yeshua, he bowed down or bent down to the ground and he wrote in the dust, right? And then he stood up and he said, well, let who's without guilt cast the first stone. And then it says he squatted down once more, started writing uh, in the dust. And then it says, starting with the oldest and going to the youngest, one by one, they left them, right? And this whole thing before Yeshua started doing this thing with the dust, he had made the proclamation, I am the living waters. If anybody's thirsty, let him come to me and drink, right? So where I'm going with this is Jeremiah 17, 13. It says, O Yahuwah, the hope of Israel, all who forsake you will be ashamed. They were forsaking Yeshua. It was the last day of Sukkot, right? The Feast of Tabernacles, the great eighth day. It says, those who depart from me will be written in the dust or written in the earth because they have forsaken Yahuwah, the fountain of living waters. I believe that he was writing their names. Shmuel, Shaul, Avi. You know, he was writing their names starting with the oldest and going to the youngest. And when they saw this, he was acting out prophecy. And basically, instead of them saying, you know what, we really did bring a bad case here. We're so sorry. We were perverting law because we're trying to trap you. And we see that you are the fountain of living water. But instead, sadly, they turned their back towards him and walked away. They turned their back. They forsook the hope of Israel, Hatikva Israel. And they departed from him, and now they, they have shame. And so that's my, that, I think that the prophet Jeremiah was the prophecy that Yeshua was acting out, and that's what set the woman free. So we are actually not under bondage by the law. The law set us free. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> and the other thing I would point out is this. When you talk about, this was awesome, Deuteronomy 22, verse 30. A man shall not take his father's wife, nor discover his father's, or uncover his father's bed. Okay, so so the point is, is you're not supposed to sleep with your father's wife. Hence, Absalom, he was having sex with his father's ten concubines, and and we talked about that at length. And we, I think that we're in those days of Absalom rising now, and he's going to get his revenge, and it's going to be rough. But nevertheless, it Paul references this exact commandment in First Corinthians five, chapter one. Now check this out. He says. In 1 Corinthians, now this is Paul, you know, the, 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 the one who brings forth the, the church and who's given us all the theoretical justifications that the law's done away with. He says here in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, it is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you, such sexual immorality that not even named among the Gentiles that a man sleeps with his own father's wife. And you're puffed up and you haven't mourned about it. It's, it's he who has done this deed that they might be taken away from among you. 
And, and then he says, but indeed as absent in the body, I'm present in spirit. I've already judged this matter as though I was present, you know, to the one who's done this deed. So Paul's like, you tell me I'm not supposed to judge. I'm judging him. I'm telling you that is wrong. That is a Torah violation. I've, I'm looking at the fruit of this tree. It is bad fruit. And then he goes on to talk about your glorying is not good. You're indulging the flesh. He goes, don't you know that a little leaven leavens a whole lump? And it, he says, just like you got to purge up that old leaven because that you might be a new lump because you truly are unleavened. For indeed, Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. Okay, so what he's basically saying is that sexual sin is like leaven. It's going to work its way in until everybody's doing it. And what does mostly the teenagers say when they get in trouble? Well, everybody was doing it, right? Is we know that that's how it goes down because our flesh knows how to justify it, whatever we want. But here's the bottom line. Paul is comparing this to keeping the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And, he, and, and this pastor, I've mentioned this before, I think, Jeff Wickwire from Arlington, Texas, once said, whenever you see a therefore in the scripture, you ask yourself, what's the therefore, therefore? Mm -hmm. and, and the therefore is the conclusion of the matter. And this is what Paul says in verse 8. Therefore, let us keep the feast. He's talking about unleavened bread. He's talking about Passover, not with old leaven nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. And so here's what my encouragement is. If you guys think it's legalistic to have a Passover celebration, then you're on the wrong broadcast, okay? But what I'll tell you, I know of people my wife met just this week in Boone, North Carolina, who said, we've been thinking that we should be doing something about these feasts, and have you ever heard of Passover? And what is that all about? Can you believe that my wife, of all people on the planet, to get a question like that when she's getting her hair cut, which she hasn't gotten it cut in months, and she goes over there and, and they're having this conver con you know, conversation. So I'm encouraging you, if you're feeling like something, there's got to be more. There's something to it. Just try them out. Go find a Passover and just be a part, part of it and see if it's not more meaningful than hiding Easter eggs out in the yard and, and eating chocolate bunny whatever they are that we're supposed to be eating. So, uh, you know, I just say, let celebrate the feast, not with the wickedness, not with malice, but sincerity and truth. And because that's going back, Paul is it telling us the conclusion of the matter is keep the feast. <laughs> and that's one of the many commandments that are here that set us free. So hallelujah. I hope, I hope anybody who is a Christian that's trying to get curious about this stuff you don't see legalistic compliance. You see joyful obedience and a desire to, to encourage in the body and say, you know what? We've been lying to about this stuff. And just come on and try it out. If you don't like it, go back to the old way. What have you lost? You, you got some, some free lamb out of the deal, right? You got some, some crunchy bread. But you might hear some prophecy in your life just might be changed for the better because just like Paul, you'll be imitating your Messiah. And, and you know that your Messiah is nothing but the way, the truth, and life that no one comes to the Father except through him. So that's my challenge to you is follow your uh, gut on that and, and find out where you can go to be built up in the Lord according to his word. Amen. That's actually a fantastic note to end on unless anybody else has something else to add to it. Anybody else have anything you guys want to share in the last few minutes here? Uh, just one really quick thing. There was something in this tour portion that cleared up something that had really troubled me. Uh, it's an account in Joshua. And uh, it's in regards to Deuteronomy 24:16, which says, Parents are not to be put to death for their children, nor children put to death for their parents. Each will die for their own sins. And uh, I remember over the years, you know, 
we're, you start off with how, you know, we're kind of taught this good cop, bad cop, you know, God of the Old Testament is this, you know, homicidal maniac, and the God of the New Testament is this graceful, lovey-dovey person, and they're, two, they're not two in the same. Um, but uh, it was the account of uh, Achan who uh, took the Babylonian garment uh, in, the, in the book of Joshua. Um, it's uh, Joshua chapter uh, 7, and I, this will just take 30 seconds. Um, but uh, at the end of the account, it says that, uh, and Joshua and all Israel took him, took Achan, the son of Zerah, and his silver and the garments and the wedge of gold, and his sons and his daughters and his oxen and his asses, and his sheep and his tent and all that he had, and they brought them to the valley of Accor. And Joshua said, What house thou troubled us, the Lord shall trouble thee this day. And all Israel stoned him with stones and burned them with fire after they had stoned them with stones. And so that those two verses, it always really troubled me. I was like, man, this guy committed the sin going to the city and bringing this garment. Um, why was his sons, like, because it almost makes it, like, it almost makes it seem like all of Israel stoned also his whole family um but uh you know with this verse in deuteronomy 24 uh, 16 um i really feel the the midrash that is put out uh by um i think rashi um uh in this wikipedia art, uh, article uh goes in to argue that the stoning was only carried out on the livestock and akan himself and that his children were merely brought forward to witness the uh, witness to the israelites um, and to stone them. Uh, so uh, this chapter, this verse in Deuteronomy 24, 16, really helps me kind of uh, make sense of that account and understand that they weren't putting to death Akon's sons, but they were just brought to the Valley of Akor as witnesses almost against their father, uh, which takes away the whole, oh, you know, he just murdered that whole family. Yeah, that's terrible. Why, you know, and so um, that's something that I had struggled with in the past, but this verse in Deuteronomy 24, 16 seems to indicate that if Joshua and them were carrying out this Torah commandment, not putting to death the children for the sin of their fathers, then it makes sense, Rashi's argument in the Wikipedia article about Akan, uh, that his children were not murdered along with Akon later on in that story. So uh, that ties into this. And I just had to say that real quick, because in this Torah portion, I really kind of realized how that how that, that plays out and it makes sense that it wasn't just you know you know the whole family put to death so yes just one last thing last thing Rob, to to connect to what jake said and just to invite everybody to 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 study you know the the valley of ahor is something really really interesting and important because it's connected to the divorcement and this is what is written in, in the book of hosea chapter two and he said that i'm alluding here and i shall lead, lead lead here into the wilderness and he's mentioning exactly the valley of Ahor in the chapter 2, verse 15. And this is so interesting because it's connected to what Jake said. It's connected to the restoration of the bride and so on. So, so just an invitation to everybody to, to, to study about the, the valley of Ahor and how this is connecting to the, to the prophecies of Hosea. Very good. Yeah, you know, what all this is saying to me is the need to, for us to study the entire word of God, not just part of it, not just the book of Galatians, <laughs> not just the New Testament, <laughs> not even just the Torah, because we see how we, the, the way this, the, the um, weekly cycles are set up is to show us how the teachings in the Torah are actually woven through the entire Bible. So we see 
the, the, the Torah basically, not basically, I believe the Torah was the Bible of the people in the Bible. In other words, the people in the Bible, the Bible that they had was the Torah. And so when we get to the prophets and the writings and stuff in the Old Testament, they are all referring back to the Torah. And the prophets primarily are just saying, hey, guys, we screwed up. We better get back or judgment's coming, you know. Uh, and then when we get to the so-called New Testament, we see the fulfillment of so many things in the Torah and the prophets and everything else. And how do you walk it out? And, and like, again, Paul is the one that connected all the dots sh showing exactly who Yeshua was, what he did for us and why he did what he did for us connecting all the dots and so hopefully you guys have seen as you're watching the virtual house church that we aren't just reading a, a passage from Deuteronomy or from the New Testament we're showing you how it's all woven together and like Kevin said hey try it out <laughs> like why not right what do you got to lose the worst case scenario oh wow you tried to obey God <laughs> oh the horror <laughs> You know, like, you know, the fact that we even have to have this discussion is, is you know, sometimes frustrating to me that when we're talking to so-called believers, we actually spend so much time, at least I tend to, having to defend the notion that as believers, we should actually try to do what he did, <laughs> try to walk in his ways. Will we do it perfectly? No, we won't. That's why First John 2. Great. We have an advocate. All right. But what's the harm in trying? Right. I mean, we see in Deuteronomy 30 that the, the benefit of trying is life and prosperity and health. And, you know, it will go well with you. Oh, the horror. Right. You know, why not try it out? Right. And we've talked about this before on several other broadcasts that, you know, it was a few years ago when we were doing this in Kevin's house that I was thinking about all this. And I'm thinking, you know, wow, I mean, we've been doing this Bible study and, and we'd have marathon Bible studies at Kevin's house <laughs> where, you know, we'd start at like 2 o'clock in the afternoon and be there till almost 2 o'clock in the morning sometimes. Um, and I think to myself, well, wait a minute. I didn't kill anybody. I didn't lust after anybody. I didn't hate anybody. I didn't, I can't, I'm going through the list, right? Go, go down the list of the Ten Commandments and I'm thinking, man, I, you know, I kept the Sabbath. I don't, I don't think I violated anything else. Wow, I managed to get through today without sinning. Huh. Wait a minute. If I could get through today without sinning, maybe I'd get through tomorrow without sinning. Hmm. Maybe Monday, Tuesday, maybe a whole week. <laughs> you know, like, I mean, why not, right? You know, why why not give it a shot? So that's all we're trying to say here. Uh, you only have benefits in, in doing so, frankly. Um, one last thing I wanted to share with you guys is, uh, for those who don't know, I think many of you probably here already do, but we have a uh, virtual house church server over on Discord. And let me go ahead and click the uh, Virtual House Church link here. Copy that. And I will put it in the chat room. So if you'd like to continue this dialogue after we're done, uh, you can do so over here in the server we have. And there's several different channels within the server. We have the, the uh, general discussion category here. We have the logo competition. Uh, people are still submitting. Wow, some, some more new ones here it looks like have come in. Cool. Very nice. <laughs> I like that. Very cool. Uh, yeah, so we, there's still time. we still got a few more weeks before we're going to uh, judge these and pick a winner. And there's uh, another channel here for those who want to get into learning Hebrew and finding out cool stuff in the Hebrew. And, of course, biblical cosmology. Anybody interested in talking about that, they can do so here. Prayer closet, if you have prayer concerns uh, and need encouragement or whatnot, you can do that. And, of course, the ever-popular What About Paul 
category where the uh, the software is called Discord. <laughs> That's where it tends to live up to its name there, I guess. But uh, anyway, what we're trying to do is create an environment where it's hopefully safe for people to, uh, again, I'm not moderating it, so you're going to have to moderate yourself, but hopefully it's a safe environment for people to continue to what they call Midrash. And uh, I have a friend of mine who... Uh, who spent quite a bit of time in Israel, and he, he says, you ever go into a, a Beit Midrash, the house of, of Midrash? I'm like, no, I haven't. He says, let me tell you, it's a loud place. <laughs> you know, people are getting in each other's face, you know, blah, 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 but then afterwards, it's all good. You know, they, they shake hands, they break bread, you know, and they're, all, they're still brothers and sisters. But, you know, sometimes iron sharpen, sharpening iron creates a few sparks. <laughs> I just ask, please try to keep it civil because I'm not there to moderate it for you. But, uh, hey, guys, thanks. Another awesome show today. Thank you, Kevin. Thank you, Jake and Juan Carlos. Awesome. You guys good for next week? Yep. All right. Cool. All right, guys. Then uh, that's it for today. And uh, we'll see you back next week. Shabbat shalom, everybody. Have a great day. Oh, one more thing. Be sure to check out the, uh, let me switch this over again. Also, if you're interested, the over on Robbie Davidson's channel, Celebrate Truth, is the YouTube channel. The Take on the World Conference is still going on today. The schedule, uh, I'll put both both links in the chat room if you want to check that out because that's still going on. It will be going on for the rest of the day. And again, I'm on, uh, what time, 640, I think, 640 Central. I'll be on doing part three of my presentation. All right, that's it, guys.